Video game leaks can be fun, but what about when they're intentional? Good morning, good Friday morning to you. The weekend is almost here. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for January 28th, 2022. It comes bright and early every weekday to our patrons who pledge at patreon.com sifted, and it's delayed a couple days later for everyone else. If you like our content, we also have a separate podcast feed for our flagship show, Game Face, that you can find by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll also find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. When I say intentional leaks, I'm not talking about disgruntled ex-employees posting screenshots and info on Twitter, or someone obtaining information in some weird way and then sharing it on social media or on YouTube or whatever. I'm talking about a publisher or a developer intentionally and deliberately leaking information as a form of marketing. Back in 2020, Jason Schreier claimed that he'd never uncovered one of these intentional leaks. But today, NetherRealm, the creators of Mortal Kombat, said hold my beer. Senior production manager at NetherRealm, Jonathan Anderson, posted a photo on Twitter today. And it was a picture of his desk. And conveniently, on his monitor, in the picture, there was... <laughs> clues. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. Conveniently, right on his monitor, there was an email that had text that said, like, our fans eagerly scraped the internet for any trace of Mortal Kombat. Uh, it also, also said, like, take extra care with this material. And then right on the corner of his monitor, there was a file called MK12 Master. Like, basically, MK12 Master. So NetherRealm... <laughs> Took the photo down 10 minutes later, is trying to play it off like, oops, we made a mistake, and now you guys know we're making Mortal Kombat 12. No, no, no. This was entirely intentional. There's no doubt about it. First of all, no one who works at a studio as big as NetherRealm would be dumb enough to just take a photo of their monitor with a bunch of important papers on the desk in front of it and just post it to Twitter. No one is that dumb. If that's the case, Mr. Anderson is probably looking for work today. It's simply not the case. Also, no one is surprised that Mortal Kombat 12 is in development. Everyone knew there was going to be another Mortal Kombat after Mortal Kombat 11. We just saw last week on Game Face that Mortal Kombat 11 was one of the best-selling games of 2021. Obviously, they're going to make a sequel. Some of you may be wondering, though, hey, where's Injustice? Shouldn't that be next? Well, we actually got some stories about this earlier. Um, Jeff Grubb, I believe, from VentureBeat reported that Mortal Kombat 12 was going to be the next game because NetherRealm was nervous about the licenses for the Injustice games and how WB is trying to sell off its game properties. It was afraid it would get halfway into making an Injustice game and it would lose the license. It wouldn't be able to finish the game. So Mortal Kombat 12, it is. I'm not here to berate Jonathan Anderson for deploying one of the clumsiest, most deliberate <laughs> marketing schemes ever. He's just trying to drive interest in his game. Fair game. Totally understand it. Totally get it. What I'm really here to talk about is why don't more game publishers and developers do this? Why? 
Intentional leaks should be a far more common marketing strategy. Information under the guise of a leak is far more likely to get interest than a typical press release or an interview with the press. It just is. There's something about the salacious nature of a leak. Even if it comes from the company that's making the product, that makes it far more interesting. It's a better story. It's something that people want to learn about and hear about more than just some dude sitting in a chair next to a plant in an office complex. Now, I get it. Some people may say, but if you get busted for doing it, it could hurt your reputation and it may actually backfire. It could make people not interested in your product. And to that, I say hogwash. I can see that maybe if it was a small studio that was trying to pitch a game that no one had ever heard of. This is Mortal Kombat. And this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about obscure indie games. My guess is that indie developers have tried that a million times and just nobody cared and no one paid attention. I'm talking about the big boys. Games where there's already built-in interest. Intentional leaks for games like that make too much sense. And if Jason Schreier is right and that it's never happened or he's just never uncovered it, then bravo. But (laughs) I'm telling you, It's a little convenient how Ubisoft's games always end up getting leaked from a subway ride in Montreal. It's just a little too convenient. If you were working on Assassin's Creed, would you ride public transit with your laptop open with everything displayed about the game for anyone on the bus or train to see? No, you wouldn't do it, and I wouldn't do it. The other thing that you can do with intentional leaks is you can use them as kind of a mass focus test. So you leak the information out there, and then you just sit back and kind of see how the fans react. If you get a positive reception, that's great. You're on, you're on the right path. If the fans freak out about it, you can bail on those ideas, and it's no skin off your ass at all. They'll never know that it was you that leaked the information. So if you're looking for a good way to focus test a crap ton of people on an idea or a concept that you have for a game, why not just leak the concept out there and see what the reception is? So while some people may chide NetherRealm for intentionally leaking Mortal Kombat 12, I actually applaud them. They're doing something that I feel other big publishers and developers should be doing If you're really trying to market your games to an audience that is incredibly tech savvy, just pray to God that they don't find out that you leaked it yourself. And I feel like even if they did, they would be understanding provided that it was a game that they're interested in and that the concept doesn't completely turn them off. All right, now on to some more stories from the top of your SIFs. It was a huge news day, so we highly suggest checking out the site. Sea of Thieves has shifted to a more narrative-based experience lately, but Rare is still missing the boat, in my opinion anyway. This upcoming Shrouded Islands, a Sea of Thieves adventure DLC, places a focus on story, and a lot of the DLC lately has been doing the same thing. But I think this is the exact wrong direction to take Sea of Thieves. I love Rare, at least I love the old Rare. I used to be a huge fan of its games, but it just feels like they just can't seem to find their way. And look, I know Sea of Thieves has generally been a success. It hasn't flopped, at least. It has a decent user base. People are playing the game. But to me, when I played Sea of Thieves, it really felt more like a glorified chat room than an actual video game. The times that it did feel like a video game, and I did enjoy playing it, was when we fought the Kraken. 
And when I played Sea of Thieves at launch, that's what I thought the game was going to eventually become. I thought it would be Monster Hunter on the Wild Seas, where you and a crew of your friends get together, you get on a boat, and you go hunt huge sea creatures. And if you run into other boats along the way, cool. And what we've got so far from Sea of Thieves, and it's been on the market for several years now, is two boss fights like that. There was a Kraken that was there available at launch, and then there was a gigantic shark. And that's it. I just really feel like creating this narrative-driven adventure game, instead of it making more action-based and making it more like a Monster Hunter hunting type game, it's missing the boat. Rare is just simply missing the boat. That said, Season 6 launches in March. Have fun! Speaking of Monster Hunter clones, it was uncovered today that a game called Project Suerte is in development from Halo slash Call of Duty support studio Certain Affinity. It's been in development since 2020, and currently it's slated for 2023 or 2024. The story has been confirmed by both Windows Central and Jeff Grubb. As I just said in the prior topic, if there is one genre where there is still plenty of room for clones, I think it's Monster Hunter. There's really only one or two games in town. Monster Hunter is really the only polished one big budget one of the bunch. There's plenty of room for studios to start creating this stuff, but it has been in development now for well over a year, and they're not trying to push it out in a year or two, so hopefully it becomes something that we all want to check out. I talked yesterday on Good Morning Gaming about Call of Duty Warzone and Call of Duty Warzone 2, one of the industry's biggest battle royale shooters. And... Right on the heels of that, today, Ubisoft announced that it's shutting down its take on the Battle Royale, a shooter called Hyperscape. Hyperscape was more of a sci-fi setting, and there were like these jump pads everywhere where you could get vertical, and the verticality of it is what really set it apart. You could get way, way up in the buildings and then dive down and shoot. It felt different from any Battle Royale game that I've ever played. It also failed miserably. Well, now it's closing down on April 28th, less than two years after its launch. Stories like this hurt my soul because I am an innovation guy. And while I didn't really resonate with Hyperscape either, I'll be honest, I played it for maybe a week after it launched. I do appreciate games that try something new. And honestly, I don't stick with any Battle Royale game. Very rarely. I'll play them for a few days before I get sick of them typically. They're just not my thing. But Hyperscape, there was something about it that made it feel different. Not just the verticality, the way that you could kind of burst into windows and buildings. There was a whole mechanic built around that stuff. It was different. It felt like a completely different battle royale. And what it feels like lately is doing things differently is just a license for failure. It just seems like Every franchise that tries to break out of the mold that everyone expects from a certain genre just never does that well. And unfortunately, Ubisoft's Hyperscape is the next one on the scrap heap. If you're an Xbox Live Gold member and you're wondering what's coming for free in February with games with gold, we've got you covered. The giveaways on Xbox One are Broken Sword 5 and Aerial Knights Never Yield. While the free games on Xbox 360 are Hydrophobia and Band of Bugs, to which I say, what? What are these games? Broken Sword 5, obviously I'm aware of, 
these other three games I've never even heard of. And we've seen this from Microsoft now for basically months in a row. I can't remember the last time I got a game with Xbox Live Games with Gold that I claimed and thought to myself even for a second I was ever going to play. And I get it. We're getting a lot of value from Xbox and Microsoft with Game Pass. But not everybody who subscribes with Xbox Live is a Game Pass subscriber. So I do wonder if they're trying to make Xbox Live into such a terrible money proposition that people are just like, screw it. I'm just going to bump up my payment and I'm going to get Xbox Game Pass. It's a slippery slope, though, because if Xbox Live subscribers feel like they're getting the screw job from Xbox or Microsoft, maybe they won't be quite as apt to check out Game Pass. Bethesda was just purchased by Microsoft, and right after that, Deathloop was released, and now we're getting information on the next major expansion to the Elder Scrolls Online. It's called Legacy of the Bretons. We got the debut trailer for it today. It takes us to a brand new area of Tamriel called High Isle. It's never been in a video game before, so that's a pretty big deal. It also introduces a new card game. <laughs> I I don't know. That seems odd to introduce to an MMO this this late in the game. Um, it does launch on PC, Mac, and Stadia on June 6th, and then it comes to consoles on June 21st. It's just good to see that in the transition from Bethesda being brought under the Microsoft banner, that development on its games has not slowed to a halt or really been affected in any appreciable way. All right, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, it's time for my daily boss fight. Welcome to today's boss fight where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. In the latest episode of Game Phase, we took a look at the top selling games of 2021. There were some pretty alarming things in that report, not the least of which is how many old games, and we're talking games that are three, four, five years old, were in the top 20 best selling games of 2021. Way too many. Now, I think we can all agree that 2021 wasn't an amazing year for video game releases, but that happens. It was like that back in 2019 as well. If you look at the Game of the Year nominees for last year, and this is just kind of a consensus pick. This isn't from one list or another or one publication or another. But generally, the nominees were Deathloop, It Takes Two, Psychonauts 2, Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, Metroid Dread, and Resident Evil Village. And I should have picked up on this when we were discussing it on Game Face, but I didn't. And then in hindsight, I was thinking about the topic when I got home, and I realized nearly all the Game of the Year nominees for 2022 were commercial failures. Almost all of them. Deathloop, not in the top 20 selling games of 2021. It Takes Two, not in the top 20 selling games of 2021. Psychonauts 2, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, only could get up to 7th on the PlayStation charts, again, wasn't in the top 20 of 2021. Metroid Dread, again, not in the top 20 of 2021. The only game 
that was a common nominee for Game of the Year in 2021 that actually made the top 20 was Resident Evil Village. And my guess is, and I don't know this for a fact, my guess is if you looked at, say, the votes for the Game Awards where the editors voted on it, I'm guessing Resident Evil Village finished last on that list. Now, I mentioned 2019 nominees a couple minutes ago. Uh, Those were Sekiro, Control, Death Stranding, The Outer Worlds. All those games sold poorly, too. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that all Game of the Year winners or Game of the Year nominees end up flopping at retail. That's definitely not the case. God of War, The Last of Us Part Two. I mean, the list goes on and on of Game of the Year winners that sold in the tens of millions. There's, there's no arguing that. What I am arguing is that giving those games Game of the Year was easy. They were so clearly above and beyond the competitors that given year that it wasn't a hard decision. And generally, they're based on properties that have sold very well in the past. And so you can expect that they're going to continue to sell well, particularly when critics give it high review scores and they tell you that it's the game of the year. But what about when you have to convince someone? What about when it isn't so clear? You don't have a God of War. You don't have a Last of Us Part Two. You don't have Red Dead Redemption 2 or anything that just truly stands out. What if you have a year like 2021 or 2019 where there is no clear-cut winner and there is no game that everyone's shouting about from the rooftops? Isn't that when it's my job as a journalist or a YouTuber's job as an influencer or a Twitch streamer's job as an influencer to convince people what the games are that they should be buying? That's how I view my job. And I don't know if influencers feel that way, if they feel a duty to make sure the people that watch them aren't wasting their money on awful video games. I really don't know how they think of their jobs because I've never done the job. But I know I feel that my job is to make sure that you guys aren't wasting your money on crappy video games. And I also feel like it's my job to convince you that games like Deathloop or It Takes Two, or Psychonauts 2, or Metroid Dread, are games that you should be buying instead of the hundreds and hundreds and really thousands of other games that were released that year. So, is the power of the press and the influencers, is it weakening? Again, it's easy to say, God of War is the best game ever, and in my opinion, it was the game of the generation. It's easy to sell people on that when everyone is saying the same thing. But why we get paid to do this is because we're supposed to be the ones that when it's not so easy, we can find the gems for you guys. We can find the needle in the haystack. We can find the diamond in the pile of coal. And I just wonder if we're failing at doing that. I really thought Deathloop was going to win Game of the Year at the Game Awards because the press just gushed over it. I liked the game... It wouldn't even have been in my top five probably for Game of the Year, but I can respect that someone else really liked it. It takes two. I cannot think of a game in the last couple years that I expended more effort trying to sell to my listeners, my viewers, my fans, or whatever. I love that game. I think it's amazing. I think it's brilliant. I think it's varied. I think it never gets boring. And I lobbied hard for that game, and it tanked. Psychonauts 2, one of the most interesting and surprisingly polished games I have played in years. 
Loved it. I feel like we both got on the soapbox and really stumped for that game. Didn't make the top 20. It did sold horribly. It didn't even make the top 20 on Xbox. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, I can give a pass. It's on a console with not a huge installed base. So even if you get 20% penetration on the install base, you're still only going to sell 2 million units. So that I get. Metroid Dread. Now, <laughs> in our case, Matt and I were not huge proponents of Metroid Dread. We, we actually may be part of the problem here <laughs> because we told you guys that we would not recommend it at full price for people who weren't hardcore Metroid fans. So that may be a case where we are actually partly responsible for the lack of sales. But the rest of the industry loved Metroid Dread. They all told you that you should go buy it, and you didn't. So what does that mean? Again, is it the power of the press and the influencers? Is it weakening? Has it become so diluted because there's so many of us now that people don't know who to listen to? Is it that we've become poor at our jobs and we have lost the ability to build enough credibility so that you trust us? Or is it that influencers have taken the concept of credibility and flushed it down the toilet? I'm not saying that that's true, but it could be the way that some people perceive it. With there being so many influencers, I think it does kind of cheapen the role and the job that I personally have been doing for 20 plus years. I think it's very easy to become just another face. And it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it or what your background is or what your experience is or any of that. It's just a bombardment of opinions. And there's so many now that people's heads start to swim. I don't know. It's perplexing. But I will say this. If more people had listened to us in 2021 and bought the games that we were gushing over, I think they'd be a lot happier than they are right now. I'll just be honest with you. Because the games that we generally were recommending are great games. A lot of them aren't recognizable to people. Deathloop, It Takes Two, Psychonauts, reviving a franchise that's been gone for 15 years. I mean, most of that's new IP generally. But I just feel like people have lost trust. And that brings up another question. What really is my job? Is my job really to help people buy games? If somebody asks me what my job is, that's what I say that I'm trying to save you guys money, 60 bucks at a time, well now 70 bucks at a time? Or is it my job to be a narcissist and just put my opinion out there into the world because I think it deserves to be heard? Or is it my job to entertain? Or is it all three? I have to admit that looking at this, I do feel a little adrift, a little bit like I'm running on a squirrel wheel. And look, I see your messages all the time on the site where you say, I bought this because you told me to, or I didn't buy this because you told me to. And then it's really great to see when you're like, and you were right, and I'm so glad I bought it, or, and I tried it at a friend's house, and you were right, it's terrible, and I'm glad I didn't waste my money on it. That feels good to me. That's when I get the serotonin rush. I feel like I've done my job. But our audience is small even compared to when I worked at game trailers. 
It just is. And I don't have the reach of a lot of other people. And I don't know if those other people are getting messages like this as well. I would hope that they do. I would hope that they get the same feeling that I get on a pretty regular basis working for you guys. But it's depressing when I see sales numbers like this. When I see what I think are the five most creative, invented, well-crafted games that come out in a 12-month period and no one buys them. <laughs> it makes me feel helpless. It makes me feel flaccid. Don't make Shane feel flaccid. <laughs> what do you think? Do you trust journalists anymore? Do you feel like the message has been diluted because there's so many of us now? Do you remember what it used to be like when you kind of knew every journalist that worked at every publication and you could kind of figure out like, oh, well, I don't really agree with that guy. So I can generally avoid his reviews or whatever. That's pretty much impossible now. There's just too many of us. There's no way you could ever remember what every person who speaks critically about games generally believes or likes or dislikes about video games. You just can't. So I'm just curious. Do you feel like you're, like I said earlier, you're swimming in all this information and you don't know which way to turn? All right, that's it. The weekend is here, people. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I hope it's helping you get off on the right foot every single morning. That's what the show is here for. I'm Shane Satterfield. You can do what the cool kids do. You can follow me on Twitter at Dinfire. And while you're at it, make sure you follow Sifted at Sifted Games. We'll be back with another episode on Monday. Hope you guys have a great weekend. But make sure that you seize today because there will never be another.